All right, as promised, here's the second season of Trek About Presents. Happy Trek About season, everybody. Happy Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day. So, as promised, we're talking about Groundhog Day. Yeah. Now, this is a movie that I saw in the theaters and have seen a million times. Um, I think you're exaggerating just a little bit. No. You, Richard Goodness, are not stuck in Groundhog Day. I There's actually no possible way that you could have seen this movie a million times. If I was stuck in Groundhog Day, how yes. would you know? Oh, God. I'm sorry. Are you stuck in Groundhog Day? I may or may not have. Or, you know, I don't have to be stuck in Groundhog Day right now. I could have been stuck a few years ago. This movie well, came out in 93. We were both kind of stuck a few years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw this movie in the theaters, too. So this came out in 1993, I believe. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, I went on one of my only straight dates. Aw. Actually, no, it must have been 1994, because I don't think I was going on a date when I was 12. You could have been. I guess I could have been. I the went point with my is, parents. You went with your Well, that tells you all you need to know about our differences. Well, I was younger than then. Oh, that's true. Younger than your parents? Then, I would hope then, so. I'm younger than you now. Oh, you're always younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> Not just now. No, I mean, I'm 33, and a few years ago you were 12 when you saw this movie, so. True. Okay. Uh, that's when you were stuck in Groundhog Day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny because I think that, that uh, this movie has really grown in its reputation yes. over the past you know 20 years or so. Uh, you know, I, I remember um, a, a, couple, a few years ago when, when Roger Ebert was still alive, rest in peace, Roger Ebert, you know, he, he reviewed this when it came out and then uh, a few years after that for his great movies series of, of columns yeah. that he used to do uh, before he was dead. Uh, he's not writing them anymore, obviously. And and he said basically that that he had sort of you know misjudged the movie. You know he liked it. He thought it was good, but but it really grew in his mind. You know over the years, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, it comes off as just a very well done, very well acted, very funny romantic comedy at first. Um, you know, perhaps a quirky one. You know, but I mean, it is a movie that I mean. It does get – it's very appropriate with the theme of the movie that the more times you watch it, you know, the deeper into it you get. Sure. Um, I guess I, what I want to say is that what I find particularly interesting is I don't really watch movies as much. This is one of those movies I've seen more than, you know, other movies, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. And – but I yeah, as – you know, number one is people frankly learn to watch the movie a little better because it, it was the kind of movie that – for its genre, was doing a lot of very different things, um, you know. But and as people began to watch it more, like the the more philosophical and spiritual uh, underpinnings of the movie do become a bit more pronounced. And you know, again, there is a lot that you can hang on this movie. It's a very dense movie. I mean, we finished it, and you said, you know, tonight, oh wow, that was actually very short. You know, I forgot how short it was. You know. Yeah, it's packed full of stuff. It's packed full of ideas. I think it's a, you know, it's a really, it's a really intriguing movie for a few reasons, at least for for the way that I approach watching movies. Because you know, of course, I, I like movies a lot more than Richard does. I think that you know, I'm a I'm a cinephile. If anybody is a yeah. cinephile anymore, um, that's really kind of a '70s term that I don't think anybody really you know focuses on movies. Ooh, as I'm a ludophile, a, a dominant art form anymore. You know, uh. whatever, who cares? But uh, I don't mean to be dismissive. I just don't like video games. But uh, uh, uh. you know, and well, I don't so, like movies. Well, there you go. Um, you know, and so I, I like all kinds of movies. You know, I'm open to seeing a movie. If someone says, hey, let's go see this movie, I'm usually like, sure, let's go. You know, I, I definitely don't turn my nose up at, at, at anything, really. But at the same time, I am someone that does appreciate, you know, artsy-fartsy stuff. I appreciate, you know, foreign films. I appreciate, um, you know, French New Wave. I appreciate, you know, German silent films, German expressionism. Mm. You know, I there's a lot of different... hour-long Belgian movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I love those, which we will cover on a... Uh, next we will cover on a season of Trek about presents at some point but um i'm gonna get you to watch that movie but groundhog day is a really really intriguing movie for me because it really does i think speak to and we talk about this a little bit on 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 Trek about sometimes that you know one of the i think one of the beauties of sort of not just american television and american movie making that's very commercial and has to be both uh, entertaining and appeal to as broad an audience as possible is that sometimes you get something like Groundhog Day or you get something like Star Trek, which really says, I think, important and profound things about the human condition, what it means to live a good life, you know, all of these sorts of things. 
not by accident, but but you know, in such a way that it is accessible to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a degree to which you know you say mainstream, and I mean, we'll look at you know big franchise superhero movies or whatever, and you know, say, okay, well, maybe that's dumb, but. You know, uh, there is the understanding usually that at least this is something I have. If something is mainstream, it must be stupid. It must be, you know, unprofound. It must be just made to m- – and there is a great majority of that. But, I mean, I, I don't like those kind of things because I find them insulting. This is this is a mass market blockbuster movie. It was a big hit. It was – it still remains a big hit. Everybody's seen it. Everybody likes it. But it's a very respectful movie and it's a yeah. very – you know, I like that there is no explanation. You know, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing is that the, the there's so many different ways that that Groundhog Day could go wrong, yeah. and I think for the most part it avoids them. You know, yeah. Well, the the you uh, this is a you probably know this one of the you know the original draft there was the curse what it was a curse right. placed by an ex girlfriend of his, right? And that wouldn't have been interesting. It, th- that's very stupid. That would have made it a hokey, cheesy thing. You know, this becomes more of a an existential piece. Well, it really becomes about about him, right? It becomes about yeah. this character. Because, you know, watching it this time, you know, I, I don't think that I've ever really watched it as closely as I watched it for, for yeah. this. And, you know, taking a lot of notes and really examining the, the structure of the movie, you know, how uh, the character of Phil Connors really does kind of go from a, 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 a normal level for him, which is kind of like a, a jerky asshole, basically, um, egotistical, certainly, you know, and then he sort of like goes down a little bit and sorts of becomes this sort of like uh, almost a, almost a nihilist in some respects mm-hmm. or an anarchist, you know, and he's 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 stealing cars and he's, you know, driving on train tracks and he's committing crimes, you know, and then that sort of wears off and, you know, he starts to 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 use his his knowledge of of what's happening in really gross and gross ways about trying to get Rita into bed, you know, and then it sort of turns a corner when that doesn't work, and he starts to realize that that I don't even know if he realizes it, but I think one of the points of the movie is that you know, it, it, putting yourself out there, kind of practicing like uh, almost a mindfulness about mm-hmm. the world and 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 what you're putting out into it, and 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 really the the value of altruism, the value of helping other people. You know, that's how he sort of gets out of this, and that's also uh, you know essentially at the end how he wins. You know, the 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 girl, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it, it, it's interesting because I think call, saying it wins the girl is. I mean, this is a movie that definitely does end with, you know, they're, they got together, you know, yeah, but, um, I don't know, I, I, I feel that this movie doesn't really earn that, you know, Rita as a reward, you know, she, well, you sure, know, yeah, I, but, you know, it, given that, you know, the purpose is that one, but what, a lot of the, you know, a lot of people take this as metaphorically school for a bunch of things. It can be, you know, th- there's been plenty of like the spiritual process. You know, you start from, you know, a selfish hedonism into, you know, love and, you know, for the others, it's been interpreted from a Christian point of view, from a Zen point of view. You know, watching this, I saw it as, you know, a maturation of the individual. You know, you leave home for the first time, you eat candy for dinner every day. Right. And then, you know, you start to get sick, you know, you have some self-destructive behaviors and then you, you know, get out and do, you know, actual response, actually something constructive for the world, you know, those kind of things. Um, I And I think that's part of why, you know, that is certainly why the movie is as successful as it is, because it does have this, in a way, universality to it. Yeah, and I think that there's ways in which you can look at it. I mean, if you want to take, you know, borrow borrow an idea from, like, say, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Yeah. You know, like, this is the last one. You know, this this is the character of Phil Connors becoming self-actualized. Yes. Right? And, you know, just, just to throw this out there as a theory, I mean, you know, the, the very end of the movie, um, you know, the, the last version of Groundhog Day that he lives over and over again is is this, you know, fantastic uh, 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 wonderland of, of helping old women on with flat tires yeah. and fixing people's backs. And, you know, he's playing uh, piano at the park. Party and, and Rita's very entranced by him and why, you know, why he knows all these people and why they know him in this town that he's only yeah. been to a few times, you know, and he's really the most popular guy in town, but he's the most popular guy in town, not because of anything that, that, that he's trying to get out of it. He's just giving things back. Right. Yeah. And, you know, 
and then of course he wakes up at the end of the movie and it's it's February 3rd. Now, you know, one of I mean, you know, uh, you could interpret that as saying that he finally died. You know, like this yeah. is in effect him moving on and you know, the fact of the matter is Rita waking up next to him and they're going to live in the town and blah blah blah. You know, it's kind of um it's almost too perfect in a way. I would say it's a heaven ending. It's a Nirvana ending. Right. Know? So where where in reality, you know, it's informed by there there's an i think there's a there's a feeling in the movie where the characters consciously don't remember any of the other iterations of this day but perhaps subconsciously in some sort of collective unconscious they remember some of it because there is that one line that Rita has when uh you know oh i you know she she mentions a sense of deja vu for example at one point um and i mean that line is very deliberately ambiguous you yes. know i would say you know is it just she's having a moment or you know, is there some way she's remembering this, you know? Right. And I, and I think that that's, you know, that's one possible read of the ending. Well, and I mean, that's part of the, uh, uh, you know, again, getting this from a Zen perspective, you know, the, every, every single person is caught in the, in the, in the cycle of reincarnation. Each person is, you know, suffering and desire. Every single person on the world is Phil becomes a person who becomes enlightened to the role of, you know, to the nature of his own suffering and the nature of existence. Maybe that's Rita getting a glimpse of the nature as, you know, people do. Um, and at the end, one of the, I mean, one of the things I noticed this time, I didn't notice until there's the, the, the auction scene when, you know, they're slow dancing and she says, oh, well, give me the short explanation and then the long explanation. As they're setting up the auction, he's talking to her. I don't know how much he explained to her. Yeah, that's in- incidentally, because I mean, we we've seen in earlier iterations that she is capable of understanding this, and sure. at this point, we can assume that Phil has figured out the most succinct way of explaining at least the beginnings of his situation. So, I mean, you know, there that that comes with the interpretation of this that you know Phil represents in a way a bodhisattva, bodhisattva who comes to a uh, rescue in a way rescue others from the um, yeah curse. Of, um, I'm not sure what rabbit hole that went down to. Well, no, but, but I but I think that that's true, and I also think that that you know a lot of the I, I think a lot of the the you know criticisms of the movie or sort of like writings about the movie that I've read you know really don't talk about the character of Rita and I think yeah. how important she is to the whole thing because you know there's again like I talked about where where once he realizes what's going on he sorts of he starts to fall into this sort of like nihilistic anarchy yeah. trap right and then he he kind of gets out of that and he's really um yeah I mean first there's a there's pleasure in the nihilism again you know yeah life without consequences means you know we have no hangovers you know i can rob a bank and if i don't if i get caught this time i can try it again tomorrow you know i can have sex with any woman I want, you know. And he also gets there very quickly. Yeah. I mean, if you notice, I mean, one of the things that I want to talk about, and we'll talk about this later, is exactly how much time is going on. Yeah. And that's always a question people are really interested in about this movie. But but I think it's a it's an important it's an important underpinning to the movie. Um, but you know, assumedly at least early on in the beginning of the movie, before I I think that they start eliding how much time is actually going yeah. on. And I'm of the opinion that, you know, it's a long time. Yeah. That, you know, the, the, the first, you know, three days where he has the first day and he's being his normal jerky self and they just want to get out of town. And then the second day it happens again and he's a little confused by it and freaked out. But he still goes through all of the motions of the town except for leaving, right? Because yeah. he knows they're going to get stuck. And then the third day is when he really gives in to you know, his, his, his really, really baser instincts. That's when he meets the guys at the bowling alley and right. gets drunk. Yeah. Gets drunk. They, they get in his car. He's going on the railroad tracks. Then he starts uh, stealing money, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? He, he, he's using his, his knowledge of the future, I mm. guess, in, in a, in a sense that, or really, it's not even the future. It's just that there's there's no time. time. Is in a stasis, right? Yeah. He's in like some sort of a limbo that he's using that knowledge to to hit on that woman Nancy and sort of like get her involved yeah. in him. And it's not pleasant and it's not a good look for him at all. And he's being kind of gross and disgusting. That I think that I, I was saying the implication is that he, you know, the woman in the maid outfit. He's probably done something similar to you know, right? Right. So. What, you know where I'm getting with that is that tells us a lot about what kind of person Phil is because his you know the third day in 
you know, he's already starting to go commit crimes and be disgusting and do all these kind of things. Whereas I don't think everybody would do that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, for me, it's like if I was, you know, doing this, I was living through day and day, the same day over and over again. I think by the time I realized it on my third or fourth day, I mean, you know, I might buy a plane ticket and go to Japan. I might, you know, but I don't think I would start robbing people. I don't think that I would, you know what I like? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because after a freight, for a while, it's almost as if he doesn't think of other people as real. So, I mean, the, you know, the term, you know, his yeah. people talk about his ego in the movie. Um, I don't know if the word narcissist is ever mentioned, but I, I don't think so. But Phil is fairly narcissistic. And, you know, in general, he doesn't treat people as if they are as important to us. So stuck into this time loop, as far as he can tell, the only static element of this, you know, in a way, the only constant element Um so yeah, the other people that are around him are, you know, almost video game characters in a way. I yeah. mean, I read a fantastic uh blog article that was talking about, you know, imagining Groundhog Day as if it were a video game where you were, you know, and how the player would be slowly discovering, you know, this, you know, secret second day, you know. Right. The, um but yeah, so when he robs someone, well he's going to respawn the next day, they're going to, you know, he shoots himself, you know, they the movie doesn't go into him doing anything horrible to people. In other words, he he steals money from an armored car that's insured. You know, he doesn't shoot anybody. He doesn't kill anybody besides himself. At the same time, though, and I think this there's there's two things here. I think number yeah. one, you do have to remember what we're talking about. You know, a mainstream American of romantic course. comedy that can't get that dark. I mean, you know, no. we're, we're not talking about like a Dogma 95 film or something, you know, so no, 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 no. we're not talking about a Lars von Trier film. We're not, you know, like there are elements to that. The, that there are elements to the form that, that do yes. stop it from perhaps going as far as it could have gone or perhaps even as far as it did go. Number one. The other thing I think too, is that that feeds into the whole alighting exactly how much time is going by because, you know, I don't think that we see, his entire nihilist no, period. No. Just as we don't see his entire suicidal period. Exactly. I mean, there are, there's some very... I, I, we don't even see the whole nice period, you know? They, they, they mention that, you know, oh, you fixed Felix's back. We don't see that, you know? There's a dozen other... You know, we don't see what he ultimately does with the old man, for example, but we assume that, you know, he found somewhere for him to, you know, spend his last day in peace, you know, in comfort right. type of thing. And a so. perfect example, too, and I think this is why we can we can infer that there's a lot more time than is shown in the movie because, of course, he learns French and learn, learns how to play the piano. You know, the, those are two things that would take quite a while. Yeah. Even if you were able to devote, well, to you be know, fair, 16 he knows, hours a day. He knows how to recite a poem in French. That's not the same I as think the implication French, but... is that he actually speaks French because why not? Right? Yeah, well, at like this he's point, trying to he's trying to win Rita. He knows that she speaks French. I think that you know because my my read on that is that you know he may have tried to get by mm-hmm. by only learning to recite that poem, but she speaks French to him and he doesn't know it. So that day is a wash. So I think he does actually learn to speak yeah. French because he has to in a sense. I mean, he yeah, again he learns the useless skill of tossing cards into a hat. You know, he learns how to ice sculpt. I mean, these, yeah, you know, all of these skills together would take years for someone to master. I mean, when we're dealing with a, you know, again, we're dealing with cycles of reincarnation. We're dealing with eternity. So you know, to me, it doesn't really. It doesn't contradict that this is a broken cycle to say that he is in the cycle for an infinite number of time. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, I think to, you know, there have been people who, number one, have counted all of the days that are seen on the film. They've added up, you know, average of, well, it takes you X number of years to become that good at piano. So he must have, you know, um, but I think that misses the point. Yeah. Of course, you know, to, you know. That's obvious, but I think all that we really need to know is that it was a very long time, and it doesn't necessarily. It was an uncountable amount of time. I think is the right what what matters. Yeah, from that. Ex- exactly, exactly. But it's something that, um, and again, the the the, I think an inf- an an infinite an infinite loop, you know, makes the message a bit more sharper. I would say because the the thing again. He begins to act in a way that's not goal oriented or, you know, the simple, the, the simple thing is to do is, you know, 
to make people happy. You know, for example, like when he saves that kid, he doesn't get anything out of it, even a thank you, you know, but he knows that, you know, that kid and the kid's family are, are not going to have a problem that night. You know, he and that kid grew up to be the dictator of America. Oh, <laughs> um, he begins doing good things for the soul you know, niceness that it puts into the system. In other words, if he is fated to be in this town, you know, all the time, he learns that, you know, hedonism is unfulfilling. He learns that, uh, you know, robbing and, you know, if we have him killing people, you know, is is unfulfilling. But he learned, you know, the only fulfillment, the only thing that he can create that can affect the world is a sense of happiness and well-being, you know, even if it's something as nice as, you know, giving Larry a cup of coffee the way he likes it. And I also think that the other the other side of that, too, is the fact that that's the only way that he can exercise any sort of power or agency. Yeah. Right. Because he can't even kill himself. I mean, you know, that's the ultimate, you know, solution. Right. For for for. Uh, 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 people that are suicidal. It's a way out. It's like, well, I yeah. can always kill myself. I can always, you know, exercise control over my own life and take myself out. And he can't even do that. Yeah. You know, to that very fundamental level, he has no control. He has no power over his own body and his own life. Yeah. You know, that's that's dovetailing with that. It's dovetailing to the line, you know, when, you know, Rita says, oh, the only person you love is yourself. He says, no, I don't even like myself. I mean, that's a very honest line. Again, to say that narcissists have high self-esteem is to completely misunderstand narcissism. Narcissists actually have zero to negative self-esteem, um, and that is where he, you know, he is the suicidal thing that he, you know, that he goes into a path of vice immediately, uh, as you said. You know, is born of that self-loathing, I would yeah. say. Uh, uh, yeah. When he's in the diner, you know, and he has all these pastries, you know, she mentions lung cancer, diabetes, you know, over, you know. Yeah, obesity. high cholesterol. Yeah, all of those things. And, you know. Love handles, interestingly enough. <laughs> not not to say that, ob- you know, she doesn't say obesity is unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, she says you, you may become unattractive to women, <laughs> which I think is interesting. Yeah, but or attractive to women. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but she's the only woman in the universe, and so what she's saying, in effect, is that he's going to become unattractive to her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and at that point, I mean, at that point, he obviously does, you know, love her. He even confesses at one point that he felt that when he first saw her, you know, and all of that. Um, well, that's what I think is really, you know, uh, I don't know that I want to talk that much about the direction of the movie because, I mean— I don't want to say it's unremarkable. But Harold Ramis is a fine director. He's not a someone we know. You know, we think of. It, it, yeah, he doesn't. He's have not a Kubrick, lot, right? He doesn't have a lot of. A, he doesn't have a singular style. You know, his no. his, his movies are, you know, generic. Uh, 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 you know, Hollywood standard uh, movie. I'd say there's a particular, you know, pacing and you know the wa- the style of humor, things like that. Well, that has know. more to do with the but, editing, but yeah. yeah, and and writing as much, and you know all of that. But you know, and a lot of that is you know point a ca- point a camera, at yeah, and Bill Murray, <laughs> exactly. He's going to do something funny, but yeah, I think that that you know that's kind of one of the one of the interesting things about the way that the movie starts out is that it does start out with him seeing Rita, and you 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 get the that's the kind of the one camera. Uh, decision that I always think about in the movie is the fact that when you're seeing Rita for the first time, you're not seeing her from a close up. You're not seeing her from another point of view. You're seeing her from the point of view of, of Phil. You know, yeah. The, the camera is where he is. And at that point, that's po- his gaze. And, and, and he's also seeing her. I mean, he's seeing her playing with the blue screen, you know, but just this kind of floating head and arms. I mean, he talks about her as an angel. He sculpts the, you know, angel thing to look like her, you know, she, that's another kind of just subtle angelic, you know, uh, mo- motif used for her. I would say. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's a lot of that in the movie. You know, she's she's lit very softly. She's yeah. running around in the snow. I mean, you know, there's there's a yeah. lot to that. But I also think you know, Reed is an interesting character because I think yeah. that she's not. I don't want to say that she's problematic. I don't want to say because she definitely isn't. But at the same time. You know, there. I always think of that scene where he's asking her what her perfect man is, and she's got this long laundry list of stuff. Yeah, and it's frankly, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, like there's there's an element to which that kind of laundry list of qualities that you want in a possible mate means that you're not ready for that. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and part of me, you know, 
it, it, it could be that that's just her spitballing, you know, on some cliches because she's kind of put on the spot. It is partially done to kind of dissuade him because she kn- she knows, you know, that's the thing. Rita is an extremely discerning person, and even when she, you know, she's the person who doesn't fall for any of his tricks really beyond a few minutes, you know. He's unable to oh, use yeah. the same thing he does on Nancy because eventually, you know, Rita will see through that. So I think to a degree, she, you know, she obviously knows he's hitting on her during that moment and she hasn't reciprocated those feelings yet. And so she's, you know, that's in a way her insulting uh you know that that's that's her moment of ripping Phil apart. She's she's not so much listing qualities of her perfect man as she is listing out things that she doesn't believe that he has or is. Yeah, that's true. And I you know and I also think that says a lot about, you know, how they come at each other because yeah. of course, you know, Phil initially I think yes, there is a part of him that's intrigued by her as soon as he sees her on that first day. Yeah. But there's also a part of him I think that he's still early in the cycle and he gets bored with Nancy, frankly, and he gets bored with the other one, yeah. and she's uh, there. Uh, the, when, when he finally, I mean, when he actually is sleeping with Nancy, he, call, he calls her Rita, you know? He, that's, uh, you know, he doesn't even, you know, he gets so bored with Nancy that even before he really has her, he's he's, he's moved on because, you know, yeah. she's not the one. Right, exactly, and and, and I think that that's, that's a really interesting way because you, you see that, and he's, He's trying to get her, but he's he's gaming her. He's he's yeah. trying to program her to like him by being exactly what she wants. But of course, nobody really ever knows what they want to some degree. I mean, yeah. attraction is kind of ineffable sometimes, or most of the time. And, and, but and in all of those things, they're forced. You know, he's not. Oh well, yeah, yeah. He's not. He didn't learn French because. You know, as she did, she found beauty in the language. She enjoyed the poetry for its own sake. She found meaning. He's doing that to, you know, to get her because, you know, that's what she likes. You know, right. he's drinking a vermouth on the, tw- you know, with a twist, be- you know, which he. Which frankly sounds horrible. Yeah. I mean, he makes all, you know, he makes a face of it, but that's the reason he's drinking it because that's what she drinks, you know. Right. But I think it's, you know, I think it's a really, a really uh, interesting way that the movie uses that because, you know, think back to the the moment in which he becomes suicidal it's that montage of her slapping him yeah and the of course the implication is that there's many many days in the cycle that this is going through and the day is getting more and more desperate you know he's trying and trying to get her to like him and it's just not happening because she can pick up on that desperation and that that frankly that that sort of like naked bald need of his but and and also the 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 routine of it. I mean, the the scene when you know, oh yeah, you know, they fall into the snow and they have this really you know adorable moment, and then he does it again, and you know, it's so forced and it's so very obviously forced because you know he's done it a dozen times and it's just it's not enjoyable anymore. You know? Well, yeah, and that's one of the things that I really picked up on watching at this time is there's a very subtle physical comedy going on there where Bill Murray keeps kind of adjusting himself to sort of like get closer to her. Yeah. And he's like trying, you know, and she's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> you know, and I love that moment. And then the other thing that I love about that, because it does feed into his suicidal cycle, but is that um, the, the montage where she's slapping him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's really well done because it's moving locations a lot. Like yeah. she's slapping him in front of his hotel. She's slapping him in his hotel room. Then she's slapping in front of his hotel again. And but her it, hotel even. Right. But it ends. It ends with him with him in front of her hotel being slapped. Mm-hmm. And then he opens the door for her, implying that he's actually getting worse at attracting her, not better. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, it's stopping at different points and he's just giving up. Yeah. Because at the very end of it, she he can't even get her to take him to her. He can't even get her over to his He can't hotel. even get her to the gazebo. Right. <laughs> right. So I think that that's, you know, that that's kind of why he gets to that suicidal point because he yeah. knows that with more practice, this isn't going well. You know, a relationship is not something that you can practice that yeah. in the same way that he's able to learn French or in the same way that he's able to learn to play the piano. I mean, you know, at before that he's interested in in a way getting the girl. I mean, and let's say it had, you know, frankly, let's say that ver- that incarnation of you know, it, it, the, the closest we see is the second he takes out the ice cream and when she slaps him the first time. Let's let's do a thought experiment where the next day 
He manages to be successful. They, you know, they sleep together. He wakes up the next morning. That version of the Phil character would not be able to keep the Rita character because, you know, he said all the right things to the first part, but eventually that's not who his personality is. That's a fake version of the personality and he would not be able to sustain it. The, um, and frankly, again, you know, she's perceptive enough to realize that he's not actually taking any enjoyment of it. The end, you know, incarnation of Phil, though, has learned to, you know, enjoy playing an instrument for his own sake. And he saves, you know, the mayor because, you know, it's a Why nice not? thing to do. It's the yeah. right thing to do. And, you know, because he actually at that point kind of likes the mayor, you know, he even – you get the sense that, you know, as irritating as Ned Ryerson even is, you know, he's happy that he made Ned Ryerson happy. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, well, Ned Ryerson's interesting because <laughs> I think that that's the very end of the movie when they when they reveal that he actually bought all that life insurance from yeah. Ned and they're like buds now is a really interesting moment because Ned has been the one – I think the one element in the story that he's consistently been a dick to and at the very end of the movie, he's not. And that really says, yeah. I think a lot more about his growth as a person than anything else. Yeah. There's a very funny theory on the internet, essentially uh, uh, incidentally that actually Ned is causing all of this because, <laughs> you know, part of where, you know, Phil gets the idea to game Nancy in this way is because Ned Ryerson walked up to him and said, hey, we went to high school together, you know, and Bill, you know, Phil has no memory whatsoever, you know, which is kind of, I think, where he gets the idea, hey, maybe I could try this on Nancy, you know, she'll, you know, she won't remember me, but she'll just kind of run with it as well. So there's a theory that, you know, Ned Ryerson has, is gaming the time loop in order to finally sell Phil insurance. And what breaks the time loop is that he's actually sold it to him. I mean that's an but interesting you know theory, it's but. it's the internet but um yeah I think you know I don't really care why it happens you know it's that's, not that's it it's yeah. not the point of the movie it's not the beauty of the movie you know but again to to give an leaving the question unanswered number one takes us away from the mechanics of it I mean that's one you know that's one of the interesting things no you know. Nobody really nitpicks this movie in the sense of, for example, playing playing an instrument. Yes, there is an intellectual and academic capacity to it, but it is also about you know muscle memory and your you know learning a language. You know, you have actual brain pathways that are being grown in order to do that, which is why it's easier to do these things. You know, when you're a child and your brain is growing, for example. Um, so yes, if he's being reset every morning and we assume physically reset every morning, you know, would he be able to learn the nobody really picks on that. And I think because there is no explanation for it, because it is almost mystical in its own way, it allows it allows things that might have been plot holes to be gone over because that's not the point of it. Right. That's not the point of it. I mean, yes, he's the same person, but maybe he's not the same person. Yeah. I think that's part of the point of it. You know what I mean? But yeah, again, we're dealing we're dealing with something almost on the level of soul. We are dealing with the improvement of Phil Connors' soul. Whether you want to call that something in, you know, spiritually immortal, whether that's just what the combination of neurons in his brain for whatever you want to right, call it. That's right. that's the entity which we are dealing with in this movie. Well, and I mean, there you know, there's been a lot written about the movie as well, working on a lot of Buddhist themes, and you know, I don't pretend to know a lot about Buddhism, but um, you know, it is. It, I think there is an element to, uh, you know, kind of the 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 power of mindfulness, at, at least as I understand it, about really yeah. sort of thinking about what you're putting out in the world, thinking about what you're feeling and why you're feeling it, just sort of being, you know, being mindful about experiences that you're having. I mean, one of the scenes that I always uh, go back to is is the scene where he's just in the coffee shop and there's that you know I forget what song it is but um, I don't know that much about classical music it's da, 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 da. yeah that song da, da. Uh, no no actually it's not that one it's uh, another one but anyway um, and he's reading the he's reading the large you know German yeah. philosophy books or whatever the hell he's reading and drinking his coffee and he just like looks around and it's you know <laughs> he's just he's like awestruck by the beauty of the coffee shop yeah. You know? and, and I think that we've all had moments like that, but what I think is maybe it's the point of the movie, I don't know, is that that's a practiced behavior. That's certainly not something that most people have as yeah. an innate talent or as an innate outlook on life. It's something that I think you ha- might have. I think it's one of those things you have as a kid, but as you 
get older, you know, you need to filter in order to get through the day. And that could be after, you know, after what, you know, part of the, you know, b- repeat exposure to everything and frankly, given a pass away from the, you know, things like, well, I got to worry about getting home and making dinner and, you know, and all of that, and, you know, I got to worry about my job and what's tomorrow going to be. Taking those off, all off of the plate and exposing him to this town over and over and over again, where, you know, by the end of this cycle, he has seen every corner of this town hundreds of times, um, allows him to kind of see the details because, you know, yeah, he has that luxury and the opportunity and the moment to. Yeah, and again, I mean, that's that's one of the interesting things I think about, uh, you know, exactly how much time is going by because, you know, even in, even in his sort of nihilist phase where he's committing crimes and, you know, he's stealing the yeah. money from the open truck. I mean, he's sitting there and he's saying, gust of wind, here she comes, she's fixing her bra. He, that's going to take a while to pick up on. Yeah, exactly. You know, whether you or know, not he, he just ran in a couple of days or a month or however long it would take, yeah. but that's still an indication that there's a lot. Even early on in the movie, they've already started to collapse that timeline, and they've even yeah. started to, to to. I mean, who knows how long that was going on for? Yeah, and he's probably did a few. He probably you know it got caught a few times. Sure, you know, absolutely. But, yeah. He's using the quick save button. It um. I think one of the things that's you know we we talked a little bit about Harold Ramis and his direction, and you know while again I, I you know he's not one of the great you know film stylists uh, of the 20th century, although he's certainly a, a good film director. Is that you know he makes good movies at least sometimes. Is that uh, there's also an element to uh, you know acting and sort of like directing actors, and I think that one of the more you know telling telling parts of this movie is exactly how well acted it is. I mean, of course, Bill Murray's great and Andy McDowell's great. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the other um, actors are, are, are good as well, yeah. but, but just the fact that they're able to repeat scenes over and over mm. again, and they're hitting the same marks, they're hitting the same tones of voice, they're hitting the yeah. same lines in exactly the same way. While Bill Murray is obviously living an entirely different version of events you know that takes a lot of skill and that takes oh, yeah. a lot of you know that takes a lot of skill as a, as a director of actors and so that's the other thing that i really like about the movie is that you know bill murray is able to bounce off the walls and bill murray is able to do whatever bill murray does and, and who the hell knows how he does that stuff um because bill murray is you know frankly yeah. he's one of the the great acting and, and comedy geniuses of the of the 20th 21st centuries but you know it's he's also able to to uh, uh, do it while interacting with actors who are playing lines in exactly yeah. the same way over and over again. I mean, I really appreciate that they're not, you know, robotically repeating their lines either, though. I mean, oh no, they're at, they're at the beginning of the day. All of the people, you know, again, I'm using game terminology, but they respond as they were. They're going to act differently to dim- different stimuli. You know, an obvious example when you know he plays with, you know, he grabs the toaster. She has to be want toast instead of coffee, for example. But yeah, but um, I but I think that the real the real thing there is is divorced from any other. And that's one of the interesting things about the movie, because, of course, if you if you look at it from a sort of like, you know, multiverse, you know, theory of the world or something that um, they probably wouldn't say the same things over and over again, even though they were living the same day over and over again. But the, the implication is almost that it's not that like it is the same it is the same version of the universe. The only thing that's different is him. Yeah. But, of course, they are still people, and they are still going to react to him doing a certain thing in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, take you know, take some kind of example. I mean, you know, climbing up into the, the, the hotel, you know, tower and starting to shoot people or something. I mean, like, they're going to react to that, <laughs> you know. that We don't see that kind of stuff, and I think that the it was the right choice yes, yes. not to show, like, some of the more dark stuff that, that Again, most you know, likely yeah, happened. But, because that, you know— this isn't. I mean, this isn't a movie about hell. It's about purgatory. If you want to go into uh, Christian and specifically Catholic themes, which it, which plenty of people had, you know, Phil is not an irredeemably bad character. He's cynical. He's an asshole. He's selfish. Yeah. Uh, he's egotistical, and he's you know he doesn't really give a sh- as much of a shit about other people as he should. Well, that's pretty much everybody I know. You know, that's you know. A, Except for me. Well, you know, you have some moments. Sure, I do. Um, no, but I mean that 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 none of those are you know irredeemable sins. You know, they're just you know it, he is being put into a position where 
he is able to strip those bits of himself away. Yeah, yeah. But I also think, you know, you, you bring up sort of a Catholic interpretation of the movie or, or at least what's going on. And, you know, there is that great scene kind of, uh, you mm. know, maybe maybe half an hour into it where, again, you know, he's sitting there in the, in the diner and he's got all sorts of pastries and donuts and coffee and he's drinking coffee out of the carafe, you know, like and and she's, you know, no, I actually know that's the other. No, that's scene, later right? on. That's later on. No, earlier on when they first kind of, he's like, "I have a problem. Like, I, I don't care about this. You know, we need to. I yeah. need, meet me afterwards. We'll go talk." And he's basically being like, "I'm a god. I can't yeah. die. Like, I've killed myself over and over again." And this is him at his lowest. I mean, this is yeah. You know, this is his his. Um, he gets so desperate, he's honest. <laughs> well, not even that. I but think in a way, it is. It's not like... a desperation. It's just. I think that he's just done. He's just tired. He doesn't know what yeah. else to do. You know, he, he's he's at his nadir, really. He has no more. He has no more tricks left. He has no more games. I mean, it's it's the, you know, he's been trying to figure out how do I connect with Rita, you know, and he does all these tricks. You know, he he learns what her major was in college. You know, he learns what her favorite drink is. He says what she thinks she wants to hear, and but as it turns out, the you know the way that he finally is able to connect to her is by just talking to her person to person and, you know, relating to her as two, two human beings, you know, letting him, letting her into, you know, who he is. Well, yeah, that's the first time that he's had an honest conversation yeah. with her, you know, and that's, that's, I think the, the, the interesting part of that conversation as well is that, uh, you know, he, he's telling her this and then she's saying, well, you're not a God. This is 12 yeah. years of Catholic school talking, which is both a, it's a really amusing line, but it's also kind of sad, but it's also kind of telling, you know, because, you know, 12 years of Catholic school, are you really going to understand the universe? Are you really going to understand the nature of God? I mean, you know, there's there's a there's a hubris no. there, but I also think that it's not a hubris because well, it's, she's it, looking at him and saying, you're just this guy like that's I mean, and and that's also the, that's the thing like we we've we've we spend an hour and 40 minutes with the Bill Murray character. We see all of his change, but as far as everybody knows, the asshole, you know, whether the asshole weatherman at the local, you know, Pittsburgh station is, is, you know, one day came up, you know, invited me for coffee and then way said to condescend was, to Pittsburgh, by uh, the way, and said he was a God, you Pittsburgh know, Pittsburgh is a fine town. It's a fine town. Um, but yeah, like that, that's, you know, Put it this way, you know, where I work, there are a lot of, you know, mentally troubled people who have told me similar stories. I mean, that's that's how people are reacting to when Phil talks his thing. He's suddenly either gone crazy, he's doing a really weird practical joke, or, right. you know, he, he's, he's very sick, like something's up. But I think that's really, that scene is really the turning point of the movie yeah. and the turning point of his journey because... You know, he's going around and saying, well, this person is this person and this is the gay dude and this is the woman who came here as a baby from Ireland and this is the woman who wants to go see Paris and he's going to drop a tray of dishes and here comes Larry telling us that we got to stay ahead of the weather. Yeah. And he's not asking anything of her. You know, he really is just as low as he can get. I mean, don't forget that scene comes after his suicidal period where he realizes that there's no escape. There's no way out. He can't even kill himself. And... That's, you know, that's when I think it really turns because he's so shocked that Rita's like, let's go, let's do this. You know, yeah. and I think that that's why um, the movie works as well as it does, because there is an element of, of, of you know, I'm, I'm game for this that that Rita has that I really, find, yeah. you know, kind of charming. You know, I find it funny that, you know, because I now I'm contrasting that scene with. When he first tries to leave the town, you know, in the first day and, you know, there's the cop. Oh, you can, you know, you can freeze to death or you can go back. All right. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, he has the line like I make the weather, you know, and later he calls, you know, he demands yeah. special treatment because he's a celebrity in, a, in an emergency. And yeah, who is he even calling? Like, that was always my <laughs> like question. Like 911 or something? <laughs> is he trying to call his mother? Who is he calling? Uh, he's trying to call for a helicopter, I figure. Yeah, probably. But, um, yeah, like... Both of the, you know, and then later when he literally call, you know, suggests that he might be a god, that's not the hubristic statement, you know. That that's a, that's a real, that's that's him without 
any guile. I you mean, know, that, yeah, that's he, him going. I don't know what I don't know what else there is to assume from this. I don't know what other interpretation I can take away from this. But then it's because a, it's interesting. He, you know that, and that's one of the things that I think is so interesting about that scene too is that he doesn't say I'm. He very explicitly says oh, I'm a I'm a god. I'm not yeah. the god. Yeah, he might be the god of this particular day in this particular town. You know that that you know that that a lot plenty of you know ancient but i think it's it's more it, i think it, it speaks to something about the yeah. movie because this is not a monotheistic interpretation of the universe no no that's true i like the implication that you know pre you know it, assuming that you know the phil character at if he isn't a god he is acting as a god um well, and of course, what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. That you know, which is why I'm. But that's kind of why I'm specifically saying that like, he is acting in a god's capacity. Uh, suggests that a god will eventually become benevolent because you know that's where its nature will go to. Because even even a god would you know get, get bored, get bored, and get pleasure out of you know creating good. Well, and, that that ties, I think, into how I want to wrap this conversation up, but also. You know, I, I very explicitly said this is not a monotheistic interpretation of the universe because I think there is something very, I think there is something very sort of Greek about that. You know, I mean, I haven't, mm, yeah. I haven't read a lot of you know Greek, you know Greek myth in a long time, but but one of the things I think about about the Greek pantheon of gods and the way that the Greeks interacted with them is that you know not not really, of course, because they didn't exist, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that I don't actually believe that Zeus exists. Um, <laughs> he's my neighbor. Uh, that. The god, the Greek gods are just people that live on Mount Olympus, and yes, they're all powerful or whatever, but they're not really all powerful. You know, this whole idea of an omnipotent, um, omniscient god yeah. is not really present. No, you no, know, that's in, in a Judeo-Christian context. You know, in a one of the, you know, the the, the fascinating thing about a lot of the. You know, pantheons, and particularly the Greek pantheon, though this is, um, you know, throughout, um, is how prone the gods are to human failings. How right, right. You know, we we have, and you know, which which is half of the half of the point, half of the richness, even even that. Uh, but that they are as prone to jealousy and rage at, and lusts and all of the you know problems that you know people have. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that that really does, you know, come around to to I think the final point I want to make is that, you know, I think at the end of the day, what Groundhog Day is really about is an examination of what it means to live a good life. Yeah. You know what? what and why to live a good life. And yeah. And why, frankly, too. But I think that that, you know, it, it, there are two sides of the same coin, because, of course, yes. how to live a good life. Well, you just do what you're going to you do. You live a good life. You live a good life and you help people and you don't expect anything in return. And that is what is going to make you feel like a good person. That is what is going to, you know, make you self-actualize, feel like you're part of a community, you know, help, help everybody else. And then the why of course is, well, you know, it, it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a facile explanation, but I do think that there's some truth to that. But, you know, again, it suggests that the plants are going to grow towards the sun. Given a long enough timeline, anybody is going to grow in this particular direction towards, you know, towards goodness. And I mean, I think there's a, 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 a but I think one that, of the, one of the things I, I, I think about Zen is that it, you know, stresses that it is a practice. It is a, it is a Zen is a verb in a, in, a, yeah. in a way. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not about so. So, yeah, the, the, the way to live a good life is to practice living a good life, frankly. Well, yeah, because I think that, you know, I was about to jump on you because I think that that's one of the problems I have with uh, some of that is that, you know, there's this whole thing about, well, the the the, the course of history bends towards justice and all of this sort of not bullshit nonsense. Frankly, that yeah. it, it doesn't, you know, like the the ways in which we have to live and that's why i think this movie is so interesting and so yeah. important and, and i always get a lot out of it is that this movie is about how to live a good life this movie is is about why to live a good life but but more than anything else it it doesn't shirk on the other part of that which is that how, how to live a good life and why to live a good life living a good life is a lot of work it's yes. a lot of responsibility you can never rest you always have to be mindful about what you're doing and why you're doing it and you have to you have to fight for it. You, it's not just going to happen. Yeah, he, I mean, Phil has to give up a lot of very short-term gains in order to, you know, get the larger picture. Again, he he 
he has to elide gluttony. He has to elide, you know, you know, casual, you know, stupid, you know, using people sex. He has Lost. to. Yeah, I guess we'll. Call I mean, it do you want to talk about the seven deadly sins? I, I wonder if it would be. I, I wonder. I mean, I'm sure you could probably find all of this. Pride is certainly an obvious one, but I mean, I'm sure there is, you know examples of that and how the movie is overcoming or at least if not all of them then most of them yeah i yeah i think so um i don't know i think that that you know groundhog day is uh obviously a classic and i, I actually do think it's going to be one of those movies yeah. that, that you know bill murray is most remembered for yeah you know and i mean of course he's going to be remembered for ghostbusters yeah he's, he's going to be remembered for lost in translation but i think that, that but this is one of his iconic roles i think it is and i think that you know it's only going to grow in stature as the years go by yeah well, I wrote only one note for this uh, movie, and I, I will tell you that when I first saw it, I thought the worst part about it was that he had to wake up at 6 every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that would be hell. I just hope that he went to bed early enough. I, you know, like, that, yeah. God, what if he stayed up until 2 the night before? I know, He's like, what if you wake up with tired. a headache or, like... <laughs> But that I guess that's part of the part of it too is that you know some life days you just don't feel good. Yeah, life is suffering, and that you just have to overcome that and yeah, continue to live a good life. Well, listeners, if you would like to continue to live a good life, you could tune into. Are, are we done? Are we at this point? We're done. Yeah. Okay, you could turn into the next episodes of Trek About Presents. Yes, that's true. So, so after this, this is kind of a. I guess this is part of the second season of Track About Presents. But uh, next week, next Wednesday, we are going to uh, start our three part journey into the Matrix trilogy, Ooh. which is going to be interesting. I think. Yeah, have not seen them in I don't know how long, ten or fifteen years at least. I saw the first one when in the theaters when it came out. I haven't seen, and I've seen like parts of it, you know, since again. But I haven't seen the second or third at all. Oh, it should be interesting. So, so join us next week for. Uh, part one of our discussion about the Matrix trilogy, The Matrix. But Eric, what if they would like to hear stuff about Star Trek, including Deep Space Nine, The Next Generation, and the animated series? And the original series, right. and the movies. Don't they know that, Eric? Well, assumedly, if you like uh, Trek About, you're listening to this because you like Trek About. But if you've never heard of Trek About before, you should go check it out. It's our Star Trek podcast. It's been going on for uh, over three years now. And it will be go on for another three years. Uh, four years, I think. Oh, God. Just take a deep breath, Richard. <gasps> and if you uh, have any thoughts on Groundhog Day, you can leave a comment on the post for the, this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can also go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow if you like this and uh, give us some money. Support us in creating podcasts that you enjoy. And we also would like that very much because we enjoy doing this, but we also enjoy having our podcast costing podcast costs paid for. Can I breathe now? No. And as always, our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is TrekAboutShow. And finally, please leave us a positive iTunes review on the TrekAbout and TrekAbout Presents feeds. Mm. We only have one review for TrekAbout Presents, which is understandable because it's still a pretty new podcast, but uh, leave us some reviews. Okay. All right. So next week on TrekAbout Presents, The Matrix. The Matrix. Will it be good? Will it be bad? The Matrix will be very good, Neo. Will we enjoy it more than the Star Wars movies or less? Uh, Depending on which Star Wars movie. (laughs) We'll have to, like, rate everything in comparison to Attack of the Clones. We could do that. All right, so we'll see you next week for The Matrix.